0: book of Philippians and chapter number three. I love this text. Um, It is actually we're going to be dealing with in part really the the theme of the whole book of Philippians and what we have entitled our series, That I May Know Him. That is found uh, in our reading here tonight in Philippians and chapter number three. And so We're going to read that verse tonight, but we're not going to deal with it until next Wednesday. Okay, so we'll we'll kind of get geared up toward that. So Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 4. If you found your place there, let's stand together. It's got the wrong text up there. I forgot to change that. Don't start at verse 1. We're starting at verse 4. That's last week's text. All right, Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. This is Paul, of course, speaking here. He's saying, obviously, the first three verses, which we'll dig into again here in just a moment, was this. There are people who want to steal the joy of salvation. They want you to work for your salvation instead of just resting in the secured fact that you are saved to the uttermost by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says, if they think they can work their way to heaven, I more could think that. And so he's about to give somewhat of his pedigree. In verse number five, he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law? A Pharisee. Concerning zeal? Persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law? Blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things. Boy, if you're in the habit of underlining, you could hit those two words right there, that Paul says, my whole perspective on this thing has changed because everything is worthless compared to Jesus. So he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, we're going to preach to you here tonight moving your gains to the lost column. Moving your gains to the lost column. May God bless the rooms where you could be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this evening. Treasure is treasure until it's not treasure. I know it's a deep statement, okay? Treasure is treasure until it's not treasure. In January of 2019, uh, two men were out metal detecting, just out there enjoying an afternoon uh, metal detecting out into a field. The men's names, Andy Sampson and Paul Adams, came across what they believed was a haul of ancient Roman coins there in Europe where they were metal detecting. They came upon this huge haul of ancient Roman coins in a field. And for 24 hours, these men believed they had found a real-life treasure trove worth over $400,000. Now, I don't know uh, as far as metal detecting goes. uh, You find a lot of garbage. That would be pretty awesome. If you ran across... Come on now. What one of us wouldn't like to find $400,000 that you just haplessly came upon... Uh, out in a field. However, the next day it was discovered that the coins had actually been left in the field by mistake by a TV crew who had been filming the day before. The crew believed that they had picked up all of the buried coins, but unfortunately for these metal-detecting men, they accidentally left 54 of the replicas behind. Could you imagine the disappointment... When they figured that out. Come on, you have just gone from $400,000 richer, I mean, the find uh, of really a century of decades of saying, man, look at these uh, ancient relic historical facts. And then 24 hours later, after calling everyone up, I hope they didn't make any risky financial bets on all that, but 24 hours later, it's worthless. Literally no value, no excitement, nothing worth getting hyped over. Disappointment might be an understatement. What they thought had great value was really worthless. Might as well go throw it in the dumpster. Sometimes we can view things as extremely valuable, only to realize that they're not really worth what we thought they were. Uh, I enjoyed um, a few years ago, we got to go to the Yellowstone with my parents and our kids rushed into the gift shop at some of the places and they were like, look, dad, they're selling gold for a few dollars. We got to buy it all. <laughs> and of course, you understand what they were selling. Pyrite, also known better as fool's gold, right? It's not worth really much of anything but the boy in their mind they we got to get it all there's this great value that's there I think about trading cards Uh, how many people have bought a rookie card of some great player only to figure out when they go to have it authenticated it's a fake it's a forgery and maybe it's been in their family for generations and been passed down and they thought they had something of great value and now it's just a piece of paper it carries no weight it carries no value Counterfeit coins. Boy, that could be discouraging to have some coin that's worth some great value. Listen, you could go down the list of things that sometimes people put great value in because they believe it's something that it's not. Now, something important to recognize in all of these stories, the value of the object didn't change. Those coins in the ground that those men metal detecting found, uh, it's not like they went from very expensive to worth nothing. They were always worth nothing. But the men came to understand that they had a wrong view of those coins. The same could be said of every illustration we've talked about is that we sometimes have an elevated view of something and we think it has great value and worth only to realize that it truly is worthless and has absolutely no value. Paul had a moment in his life where he realized that his Righteousness. Put some heavy emphasis on that there. His righteousness that he had placed so much value on. All his religious works, his pedigree, his do's, his don'ts, his observation of biblical law. He started to realize I had placed so much value on it, but it's always been worthless. And he has this aha moment in his life where he says, things that I had placed in the gang column, they need to truly be moved and placed into the lost column for what they really are. Now, if we'll remember at the beginning of chapter number three, there's a major shift in the tone of the book even where he says, finally, obviously we're halfway through the book, so this isn't a concluding matter as much as it is a shift in thought. And Paul dives in and he says, listen, there are things in your life as a Christian that want to steal your joy. Of course, there's a huge difference between joy and happiness, isn't there, church? Yep, absolutely. Happiness, everyone experiences, and it's all dependent on what's happening in your life. Happiness happens. And so if it's good, you're good. If it's bad, you're bad, and you just ride the wave, right? Great highs and great lows. I'm thankful we serve an unchanging, immutable God That we are to rejoice, if you read in verse 1, he says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That the source of joy cannot be found in all these other things. Actually, joy can only be found in one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus. So he says this, you need to find your source of joy in the only place you can find joy, and that is in the person of Jesus so why would he say that? Well, here's the problem. There was a group called the Judaizers. Okay, The Judaizers were a group of Christians, air quotes, big heavy ones, Okay, loose term being used there, Christian, who said, Jesus is great, but you need Jesus and. Now, let's go ahead and throw this out there for you. Anytime anyone says Jesus and, You can go ahead and mark it down. You're about to hear some heresy. Okay, because the Bible is Jesus only. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And so here were these Judaizers, and they really emphasized the Old Testament law, which could be summed up by one commandment, circumcision. Mm -hmm. So they came to this and they said, listen, you need to not only have Jesus... But you also need to keep all of the law, primarily circumcision, or you're not really right with God. You must have these things as well. And of course, Paul writes and he goes, you know what those people are? Joy stealers. They're miserable because they're trying to work their way to God. It's called, Paul calls it in the book of Romans, frustrating grace. It's one of those things where you're trying to achieve Uh, harmony with God, peace with God, righteousness with God, grace that only God can provide, and you're trying to do it by works. You're trying to work your way to heaven. And Paul says, what a miserable life. Because there's no amount of good works that you're ever going to do that could merit you being forgiven of your sins and being right with God. Now, somehow in our human mind, that makes sense, right? Right? salvation if I just believe I'm saved that's too easy I have to do this and this and this and this we want to add a bunch of works but here's the thing you got to understand salvation is not easy it was hard for Jesus I mean he did the hard part think about what Christ had to do for us to be saved he did all the hard stuff so that now all we must do is simply believe in him The gift of salvation was not cheap, it wasn't free, and it wasn't easy. But for us, it is cheap, easy, and free. It's super easy. All we must do is simply believe in Jesus Christ. But somehow in our mind, we want to complicate it. So, of course, we talked about other joy stealers that are out there in the world, but Paul here specifically deals with this. Don't let somebody steal the joy of your salvation by making you think you need to be in order to have relationship with Christ. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Baptists that live this way. After salvation, you think, well, I've got to do, do, do in order to be right with God and in order to have fellowship with God. Now, listen, I understand that uh, our relationship and our fellowship with God can be strained and not be everything it ought to be Mm -hmm. when we allow sin and we allow other things to take priority over him. But understand this, God loved you when you were filth and in the miry of clay, and God will love you no matter where you're at, God loves you. And God's love is what Paul says, his love constrains me. It makes me where all I wanna do is know him more intimately and serve him and do holiness and be everything God wants me to be. And so Paul says here, those views, the view of do in order to be or be, and that prompts you to do our polar opposites. So he says this, don't let anybody steal the joy of your salvation. Just enjoy Jesus Christ and live for him because of the love that you experience. So now he comes in verse number four and he goes, but let's uh, do a case study. If they're going to, the Judaizers, if they're going to put emphasis on the flesh, like the flesh can somehow save them, their works, i more. Paul is basically saying this: uh, If they think they could do it, I got them beat. He lists seven things uh, in those next few verses, and he gives his pedigree, his uh, resume of why he says if we're putting our resume one to against each other and saying who has done more for God, and by just by the merit of their works and. And their pedigree and who they are, who is going to make it to heaven? He says, if that's what we're basing this off of, I got everybody beat. So, listen to what he he says here. We'll kind of run through these real quickly here this evening. So, here's Paul's pedigree. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day. Basically this, from the time Paul is born, he has followed the law to a T, that's when they were supposed to be circumcised. So it's not like Paul was a proselyte or a convert later on who got circumcised. No, no, no. The eighth day, exactly when the law said, all rights, customs, and laws from birth have been followed. He's of the stock of Israel. Well, what does that mean? Not every Jew could trace their lineage back to Abraham. Paul could. Paul could say, here's my dad, here's my grandpa, here's my great-grandpa. We go all the way back to Abraham. I have clear tracing all the way back to Abraham. I am of the stock of Israel. He also said this, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That was uh, something. That was the favored son, baby boy, Rachel there, Jacob, Benjamin. So he had a a link to not only know his clear lineage to Israel or to uh, Abraham, but also knowing what tribe he was a part of. He then says this, that he is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You say, what does that mean? It means this, no strange blood. So if you'll understand, Israel went into exile several times, right? Assyria in the north and then uh, Babylon in the south. And and through that, there were Jews that married non-Jews, right? So what Paul is saying here, Hebrew of the Hebrews, he's saying this, if you go back through my family lineage, you won't find any tainted blood, I have, I'm 100% Jewish. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Pure stock. Amen. He said this, that he's a Pharisee of the law. Pharisees were those who had strict adherence to the law. Which basically says this, they would take the law and add to it. So his view of the law was this, literal interpretation, and I'm following every single piece of it, and I'm even adding things to it. That's how Paul viewed the scriptures. He then said that he was zealous to serve the Lord. How zealous was Paul? Paul was so zealous that when he thought that there were people who were going against the law of God, you know what he did to them? He killed them. That's how zealous Paul was. And and honestly, let's let's be transparent here. Paul was doing that because he thought he was obeying God. It wasn't like Paul was some evil, malicious person. He got letters from the high priest because he was so zealous about keeping God's people and God's word pure that he said, those are heretics and I'm going to kill them for doing wrong. That's how zealous he was. He persecuted the church. And then he said this, blameless concerning the law. Paul understood he wasn't without sin, but he understood this. If you tried to find a law, like dietary law or ceremonial law or some washing, if you tried to look through my life and find a place where I hadn't kept that, good luck. I kept it all. Now, that's quite a pedigree. I, I, I would not come close, right? Most of us wouldn't. Paul was on fast track. Most people believe that he was already kind of on fast track to be a part of the Sanhedrin, that group of 70 men that set over Israel, and that he was even on track to be a uh, high-ranking priest, if not the high priest. I mean, this was a, uh, the guy. Now, here's why Paul mentions all of these things. In verse number seven, he says this, <clears throat> those things that were gain to me, those accounted counted loss for Christ, but at one point in Paul's life, he said, they were gain. What does that mean? Well, Paul walked around like this and he goes, better than you. You know who I am? You know what I've done? I, I have done all of these good things. And on a negative side, I have refrained from doing all these bad things. Paul kind of had his nose stuck up in the air, and he was sitting there going, attaboy. He said, this is great gain. It's great value of my life. Look at all these wonderful things that I have. Now, we'll kind of depart from the text just here for a minute dealing with Paul. There are a lot of people who in their life sit back and they go, look at all that I've done for God. They want to pat themselves on the back and some great spiritual giant You know, I think there are those, actually I know there are those, because the Bible declares it, that will stand before God one day and they will say, Lord, look at all the wonderful things that we have done for you. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. They'll be cast in outer darkness. There's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Now listen. According to that scripture and other places in the Bible, there are those who are just like Paul, who believe because of what they've done, they will stand before God one day and God will just look at them and be like, wow, you are, you are all it. You are the bee's knees right there. You're all it, man. You're, you're the deal. And God's just going to sit up there and just be like, oh, he's just going to be just ooing and awing and just losing his mind over them because that's what Paul thought. It was great gain. He thought God was so pleased with him and God. He thought he had $400,000 worth of coins. He thought it was so valuable and it was worth so much. All his wonderful things that he had done, he was so good. Now, here's the thing. We would identify those who would feel that way are biblically what's called a legalist. Now, I feel like I need to do a little bit of work on this. Because you probably had somebody in your life before go, you're just a legalist. Mm. Okay, I've, I've been there too. I felt, I felt the condemning eyes of those who said, well, you're just a legalist. And unfortunately, they don't really know what the word means. So <clears throat> here, when you hear legalist, oftentimes what people say, they're like, well, you have standards. <laughs> Having standards and being a legalist are not even close To the same thing not even close I am so thankful that we have a Bible that although there are some gray areas there's a lot of things that are really just black and white and I'm very thankful for that because sometimes I don't get it and I'm thankful when the Bible just goes thou shalt not steal well that seems pretty definitive that seems pretty black and white Right, and, and so when we read the scriptures, there are some things that are just black and white that we go, I can say that is a biblical conviction. Now a biblical conviction means it's the same for me as it is for you, as it is for her, as it is for him, which is this, thou shalt not steal. Th- that doesn't change as you get older. That doesn't change if you live in another culture. That doesn't change if you're a new believer or someone who's been saved for decades. It's just the same for everybody. Now, from biblical convictions, we are able to derive personal standards. Now, personal standards are not biblical in the sense that everything that applies for me is going to apply to Brother Jody, and it's going to apply to you, and it's going to apply to her, and it's going to apply to everyone. So, using the idea, the Bible says we ought not steal. Well, that might mean for somebody, they say, you know, for me... I'm gonna put some things in practice in my life to help me not steal. I'm gonna have some accountability by allowing people to look at my bank account or whatever. I struggle in this area, so uh, we're gonna put up this security camera so that if I am tempted to steal, somebody will know it happened. I don't know. Those are standards. And just because you feel God wants you to do that doesn't mean everybody has to do it. Now, are standards a bad thing? Absolutely not. They are so good. You know, the Bible says you ought to dress modest. The Bible says you ought to be a soul winner. The Bible says you ought to not steal. The Bible says you ought not murder people, right? The Bible says you ought not commit adultery. Now, those are biblical convictions that we ought to apply to our life. Now, from those, we need to put some things in our life, some preventative measures. Some maybe we have a weakness in where we need to have more measures than in other areas. And we say, you know what, I'm going to put these things up in my life, standards, so that I can be what God wants me to be and be holy. Because I love Him because He loves me. Now, if someone calls you a legalist for having convictions and standards, they're missing the boat. You say, well, what is a legalist? A legalist is somebody who believes in order to be right with God, particularly in the area of salvation, you have to do all these extra things, stuff. Here's a legalist, modern-day legalist. You need Jesus and baptism. They add, they frustrate grace. The Judaizers were previous day legalists. The strictest sense of the word literally means to frustrate grace, to add law to salvation. Now listen, we do not believe in our church that in order to stand before God and enter into heaven, you have to keep all these principles and all these things. The Bible is very clear on this, and our church simply believes this. If you're going to stand before God and be declared righteous before Him, without sin, purged of your sin, spotless before Him and clean, you'll never do that on your own. It's only through the person of Jesus Christ. So that when He sees me, He doesn't see my works. He sees the completed work of Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross of Calvary. Mm. That is a liberating feeling. It is awesome. Now, because of that, though, convictions and standards are a good thing. But they are not necessary for salvation. I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven or do good. And Paul here, he says this. <clears throat> they're legalist. The Judaizers, they're frustrating grace. They're legalist. And he says here, I at one point was the same way. But there was a moment in my life, everything I thought was gain, I finally realized how worthless it was. Paul's language is a little bit more crass than mine probably would be. But since he was crass, I guess we have some allowance to be that way. Do you know what he described all the good works? I mean, you just read that wonderful list of stuff that he'd done. You know what he described all that as? Dung. Now, you can try to flower that up all you want. But dung be dung. (laughs) Whatever your mind goes to, that's what it is. Now, I have never... Once in my entire life, gone to the toilets here at the church and prayed. Oh, I hope somebody left some treasure in there. <laughs> now, again, I'm going to be crass because that's how Paul was here a little bit. To help you understand, that's where Paul went when he said it was of great value, but you know now what I compare it to? Flush it down the toilet. It's, good. it's filth. It's worthless. Not only is there no value, it is absolute refuse it's garbage. There's no value to it whatsoever. Well, how much of it is waste? All of it. Amen. Everything I had stacked up over here, and I was just, oh, this is so wonderful. I love this stuff. This is, and he was walking around. Yeah, that's right. I'm the guy. And now he's realizing this. Why did I ever act that way? What I was so proud and boastful about was dung it was filth. And so he says here, I took all of that stuff when I was on the road to Damascus. You can read about it, Acts chapter uh, 9 there. What well, he says here, what happened in my life was when I was confronted with the gospel, Paul or Saul, Saul, why kickest thou against the pricks? And he's blinded by that great light. What he did at that moment is he says, All this stuff is absolutely worthless. And he moved it over to the lost column. <sighs> why? Because there was something that had to be moved from this column of loss to the gang column. Well, what was it? The excellency of Christ. The very individual that Paul was going to persecute, he realized, was worth everything. And Paul came to the place where he said, all my good works, all the things that I've placed so much value on, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to let it all go so that I can move only one thing to the gang column, and that's Jesus. Do you know there are people in this world today who have to give up quite a bit in order to be saved? I'm thankful here in the States a lot of people it is relatively easy for them to trust in Christ, but there are a lot of Muslim countries that are out there and places in the world where there's a lot that people are going to give up in order to gain Christ, and yet there are people who their families will have funerals for them while they're still living. And, and they will give up literally their income, their everything. Why? So they can gain the excellency of Christ. You know, there's people even here in the United States that are clinging to a lot of things in their life. And they're saying, well, this is what's going to get me to heaven. They're clinging to their baptism. They're clinging to giving money to a church. They're clinging to their good works. They're clinging to, well, my grandpa was a pastor. Come on now, I've heard all these things and more, witnessing to people in and around, even right here in Bridgeport. And there are people all over our community that are holding on to dung and saying, this is valuable, and this is of great worth, and one day I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, well done. When really, he's going to stand before God one day with a pile full of dung and say, depart from me. I never knew you. There's a great number of people who need to realize what they're holding on to that they think is of great value. It's really worthless. And it needs to be moved into the lost column. Because here's the thing. If someone's going to trust Jesus and that's not the way it works. They need to forsake it all and believe in Jesus alone. Trusting in His excellency alone. Well, what happens then? Paul says, well, after that I began to understand the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable to His death. And I started understanding the power of His resurrection. Right? So th- these are two things. That we don't have time tonight to deal with them. We're going to deal with those next week. But Paul says, when, when this dynamic happened, gain, that's not worth anything. And he moved it over here, and he took one thing from the lost column, Jesus Christ, and he put it into the gain column. He said this, some pretty awesome things started happening in my life after that. He said, when I started feeling the excellency of Christ and I started being made conformable unto his death and the power of his resurrection, there's some wonderful things that I started to realize this was great gain. So you know what Paul started doing in his life? (sighs) He said, now I start counting all things but loss. Paul says, what else is over here that I count as gain that I can get rid of so that I can get more Christ.'" Now, he's not talking about getting more saved. He's talking about letting God have more of this column of gain so that it's just all Jesus. It's good. Right? You get all Jesus you're ever going to get, but there's some things that need to be worked out in salvation. And what he said, Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, I've experienced the excellency of Christ. So now I'm spending the rest of my life and I'm trying to figure out what else can I remove from this column so that I can experience more Jesus. Now, here's a little bit of a message here for tonight. Two points of application, we're done. First one is this. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, well, preacher, this is a Wednesday night service. This be the faithful few. It's Jesus plus nothing, Jesus minus nothing. If you're trusting in anything that you've done to get you to heaven, trusting in the baptism, trusting in something that your grandpa said or did, trusting even in a prayer. Listen, no, no, trust is only in the person of Christ. Amen. Has there ever been a time in your life where you prayed and you asked Him to save you? For with the mouth, confession is made. With the heart, belief is, belief is made unto righteousness. We must call upon Him in order to be saved. Was there a time where you have asked Him and you believed in Him and been saved? If not... Behold, today is the day of salvation. God wants you to be saved tonight. Move some things from the gain column and move one thing from the lost, Jesus Christ, would be the greatest decision you ever made. But maybe here tonight there are those who are believers. You know you're saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. A no doubt salvation, one and done. You know you're on your way to glory. But understanding this, maybe there's some things that you count as gain that really need to be in the lost column. Maybe there's some things that you put some emphasis on and you say this is of great value. The Bible says where your treasure is there will your heart be also. It's a dangerous thing when we start to treasure other things that are not really worth any value. And I wonder how many Christians are trading the excellency of Christ being made conformable unto his death the fellowship of His suffering, the glory of His resurrection. They're trading off all those wonderful aspects of salvation for something that literally, in the scope of all of eternity, is dung. Yeah, it's good. Let that sink in for a second. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 that we're going to stand before the Lord one day. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ. Not in order to merit whether we are going to go to heaven or not or whether we're going to be saved or not, but whether there will be reward. And he talks about that there's going to be gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. And you know whose fire gets to try all that stuff? The Lord's. Which really means this. It doesn't matter what your pastor thinks about it or what the other church member thinks or really even what you think. Ultimately, what does God's word say about what you have put in the gain column? Because it's not going to be your pastor that's going to judge whether it's gain or loss when you stand before him. And it won't be your spouse, and it won't be your boss, and it won't be your peers here in the church. It'll be God Himself that will try your works, whether there will be gain or loss. You know what He says? Some people are going to suffer great loss on that day, and they'll be saved, yet as by fire, is how the wording is. It's not a determination whether they're going to be saved or not, but boy, they're going to stand before the Lord empty-handed. And I can't help but imagine, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can't help but imagine looking around at other Mm -hmm. believers And saying what could have been. But instead, I emphasized what truly was loss. No value. Dung. Now listen, I know it's an absurd thought of rushing to the bathroom after the service to try to see if there's something valuable. But I'm telling you, there are people in this church who are doing the exact same thing in your daily life. There's some things that you're placing value on that have no eternal value. Move them to the lost column. Experience the excellency of Christ. You will never, ever regret getting more of Jesus in your life. I have never experienced anything greater than Jesus Christ. And anything I can do to walk closer to Him, to know Him more intimately, and to let Him have more of me, I'm all in. Because I've never given up something that He hasn't blessed me tremendously way more than what I ever thought I was giving up. All right, Let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation here tonight. If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, won't you come? The Lord wants you to be saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you've had some things in the gain column that really need to be moved to the loss column.